Well, First uh, John chapter 5, this is the last, like Pastor Wayne said, this is the last uh, message on John's uh, letter here, general epistle they call it. Uh, it's not a military epistle, it's a letter to everybody, every believer. And uh, <clears throat> we're going through it line by line and verse by verse because sometimes there's stuff in there that make you go, what? What in the world? So we're going to actually be looking at a couple of things that made me go, what? And you say, man, that ever happened to anybody? You read in the Word of God and all of a sudden you're like, what? Oh, well, I'll just skip over that because I don't understand it. But how many know it's there for a reason? Amen? Praise God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning that we have your words and we can look into them, God that we can uh, be encouraged, that we can grow thereby in knowledge and knowing you. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. Amen. So we'll begin with, we're up to First uh, John chapter 5, verse 13, where it says these words, the, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm sorry, I've got to take these off. I've written. Uh, John is saying that what he's written has been recorded, and you'll find the same words in his gospel, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, where he writes and says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through believing, and the Amplified Bible adds to that, and cleaving to and trusting and relying upon him, you may have life in his name. The New King James Version adds a little bit to it, and it says, in addition to the these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. How many know it's not just a one-time deal? It's, it's supposed to continue. It's supposed to be for the rest of your life and then on into eternity. Can you say amen? I want to look uh, specifically, uh, first of all, uh, that the word believe here, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. This word believe is the Greek word pistuo, and it means to have faith in, upon, or with respect to a person, quoting Divine's Dictionary, to entrust one's spiritual well-being to Christ. It also, funny thing is, means credit. How many know that before we received Christ, we were spiritually bankrupt. We used to sing a, uh, a chorus, uh, he paid a debt, he did not owe. I owed a debt, I could not pay. And I uh, thank God that he did that. You know, because uh, you just can't declare bankruptcy in the kingdom of heaven and say, okay, you know, we'll just wipe the debt away. Go, we'll go here and there and do this and uh, do it on your own. Well, here in the United States, you can do that to a degree. But in the kingdom of heaven and in the spiritual realm, you can't just say, okay, you know, let's just wipe it away, God, and God just ignores it. Somebody has to pay, and that was Jesus. 
This word uh, pistro comes from, according to um, Strong's Dictionary, the word pistis, which means reliance especially on Christ for salvation. And it comes from another word, which is a primary verb, pitho, which means to convince by argument. To convince by argument. Anybody ever have an argument with God? <laughs> you know, you can't win an argument with God. It also means to assent to evidence. Uh, Josh McDowell, I believe it is, wrote a book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. If you look, if you sincerely look at the Bible and all of its evidence, I don't believe there's any way a person cannot be convinced that this is what we can rely on, that this is something that we can fully trust and commit our lives to. <clears throat> it also means to agree and to have confidence and to wax confident. Never get a candle and uh, you tip it over and the wax melts real fast. But when they make a candle, they dip it several times and it keeps building up. That's what our faith is supposed to do. It's supposed to keep building up our trust in Jesus. As we go through life and we go through experiences uh, where we know that we can trust God and, and we, we find sometimes ourselves in a situation where we have to trust God. <laughs> Nothing else you can do. Might as well trust God. And your faith grows because eventually you'll see that God does come through. And we'll get to that a little later on in the message this morning. But the other thing I wanted to notice about these things being written, and everybody ever hear that saying, the pen is mightier than the sword. Ideas have changed civilizations. In the, uh, uh, I believe it was 1789, there was the French Revolution, which was a result of the age of enlightenment or the age of reason. You know, people decided, well, we're going to figure things out for ourselves. We don't need God anymore. And we can see that today in society also. We don't need God anymore. We, we can do this on our own. You know, we're, we're, we can figure this out. We're going to stop global warming, you know, and, and we're going to stop nature and transform nature because we're so smart as humans. Well, <laughs> uh, good luck with that. Praise God. So, but ideas are able to change the course of history. Uh, a man named Karl Marx, who was relatively unknown uh, back at the turn of the century, uh, the turn of last century, 1905 or so, uh, out of his ideas came the Russian Revolution and World War I. And his ideas and also the uh, overtaking of China by the communists, the, the, the ideas... Uh, that he proposed are still at work and they're still trying to take over the world. But how many know that the kingdom of heaven, we believe the kingdom of heaven is supposed to take over the world, but not by force. We don't point guns at people and say, believe in Jesus or die. That would be nuts. So, okay, I believe in Jesus. Okay, bang, you're going to heaven right now. It's okay. <laughs> Maybe that would work better. Who knows? <laughs> Praise God. But that's, that's not, not how the kingdom of heaven works. It's voluntary. God draws people and they respond and put their trust and faith 
in Jesus. Another interesting thing, John writes, and you'll see this a bunch of times in his letters, he says, I'm writing these things that you may know that you have eternal life and may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. This phrase that you may know, John wants us to be fully convinced that you may know. This is the Greek word gnosko. However, in chapter 5, the last few verses, uh, in chapter 5, verse 2, verse 13, verse 15, verse 18, verse 19, and the first part of verse 20, there's a different Greek word. And it's pronounced, I think, ido. And these two Greek words have slightly different meanings. The word ido means to see. And that's the word here in verse 13, to see. That you may see that you have eternal life. You, that means that you know that you possess it. It's uh, opposite or it's in contrast to the word grinosko, which is a word, a Greek word which means that you grow in knowledge. This word, ido, means that you get it right now, right away. The other one uh, you receive, this one you perceive. Gnosko indicates, well first let's look at the word ido. Find my notes here. Praise God. It means the knowledge that's not obtained by mere intellectual activity, but by the operation of the Holy Spirit upon acceptance of Christ. The interesting thing about Gnosko is it indicates a relationship between the one who knows and the object. How many know that God knows us? And this gnosko, this attitude or this idea is that God knows us. And not only that, but that the object or the person who is known by the knower is important or valuable to the knower. When we were lost and without Christ, God knew us, and God saw something of value in us. Isn't that good news? That's wonderful, because if we, I don't know about you, but looking at myself back then before I became a Christian, I thought I was worthless. I didn't see much, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> worth or much value in continuing to live. I thought, you know, this is crazy. Why, why would anyone want to live in a world like this? What a mess, you know? And... Uh, then I got saved. God saw something of value in me and understood that Christ Jesus took my place and your place. And that's how he proved how valuable we were. Notice what it says in Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Most people that you talk to that are not born again, a lot of them have no idea what you're talking about, and it makes no sense whatsoever to them. But keep trying, because eventually you plant the seed, one plants, one waters, God brings the increase. Other, somebody else comes around and digs up the weeds and cultivates the soil and does what they can through words and deeds to try and win the soul. But eventually, when they get saved, God opens their eyes. First, they had to be born again. And then, they can grow in knowledge. 
Second Peter's letter, chapter 3, verse 18, encourages us to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That was the one verse that I read before I became a Christian that really, really made a big impression on me because when I read that, I thought I was studying to be a Catholic priest. We were studying philosophy and uh, all the questions that those people had were in the Bible, but I didn't know it at the time. But I remember reading those words and I remember thinking to myself, yeah, I want to know the truth. And the truth is that Jesus is Lord. Once we become born again, in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it says these words, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Anybody ever ask you, how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're born again? Well, there's evidence. I mean, I don't do the things I used to do. God's changed my life. God's changed my outlook. God's changed my attitudes. And God's still changing me and still working on me. And he's not done with me yet, thank God. But the Spirit, you know that you know, no one can tell you that your experience with God is not legitimate because you are the one who experienced it. Can you say amen? Praise God. <clears throat> Let's go on. This is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. This is the confidence. This word confidence is the Greek word parousia. It implies assurance, boldness of speech, or audaciousness. You have the nerve to call upon God. You have the nerve to pray and talk to God. In uh, <clears throat> Rick Renner's uh, Sparkling Gems, he says that, uh, that this communication is so strong that it's perceived as arrogant or overconfident by people. How many has ever prayed, you know, uh, and you believed God, and, and uh, you, I don't know about you, but there's times you kind of wonder, well, God, can I really say this? Especially if there's other people there, you know, and uh, you wonder, am I, am I really praying, uh, you know, the things of God, or is it just me, or is it, you know, uh, am I being, you know, puffed up, or what, you know? And, uh, but... This um, word, parousia, comes from two words, pas and reo. And it wor first word means to uh, use all manner of and all, always and whatsoever and whosoever use of words. Because the second word, areo, means to flow or to run as water, to utter and speak or say. And so daily, we should speak and say and talk to God, and it literally means to command. How many have ever read Isaiah chapter 45, verse 11? We saw this in the uh, Bible study Wednesday night. Uh, God, in chapter 45, verse 9, he's telling the people through the prophet, you know, don't fight against me. Don't contend with me because I'm God. And then in verse 11, it says, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands, you command me. This is one of the oddest uh, 
sayings that I ever looked at in the Old Testament where God tells us to command him. Many think that's kind of rude, you know, or arrogant. We're just mere human beings, you know, like Jacob is a worm, the Bible says, and what would a worm say? How could a worm, you know, come before its, uh, his maker and, and creator and say, okay, God, this is what I want you to do. But I believe this is what God is telling us to do. But the thing is that our motive is what really counts. We want to honor God because when we speak to God, and we make our faith declarations before God is to convince ourselves for one thing. And it's also, you know, <laughs> somebody told me one time, you know, God already knows all those things that you're saying. Yeah, I know, I'm just reminding God. <laughs> well, I'm also reminding myself. <laughs> How many know? Well, I need to remind myself of a lot of scriptures. Like uh, it says, you know, meditate on the word. Go around muttering the word. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Praise God. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. These are things we ought to be telling ourselves because God tells us those things. And there we are. God's commanding us to command him to tell us those things. <laughs> Praise God. So don't fight with God. But this uh, we know that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Does that mean if we ask anything uh, that's not according to will, he doesn't hear us? I don't know. <laughs> I think he hears us anyway. Because the point is, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, because we're asking according to his will, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. We pray and ask God to do this or that, the other thing. We know that God's going to answer because we're asking according to the will of God. Hallelujah. It also, John, and this is not the first time John said this in his uh, letter here. In uh, chapter 3, verse 22, he says, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, he uh, admonishes us, You have not because you ask not. And you have, when you do ask, you receive not because you ask amiss. So it's important to pray according to the will of God. Listen to Jesus' promise in chapter 14, verse 13 of John's Gospel. 13 and 14. Jesus says, after telling them, I'm in verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And then Jesus goes on to continue, and he says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Which kind of sounds like a paradox. You ask Jesus anything in his name. Jesus, in your name, we're going to ask that you save souls. We're going to ask that you perform miracles. But he says, I will do it. Then in chapter 15, verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That was good advice from uh, um, the guest speaker last week. Read four chapters a day, every day, because you'll have more of the Word of God in you. In Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Because when you delight yourself in the Lord, and you get those four chapters or more in your 
heart and in your mind every day, your desires will change. You won't be, you won't be praying for vengeance on your enemies. <laughs> Pray for their salvation. Amen? Praise God. But, oh, how about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35? Cast away, cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Has anyone been waiting for prayer to be answered for a long, long time? Abraham was given a promise and he waited 25 years before he got the promise. Is God ever going to turn your mourning into joy? Is God ever going to give you beauty for ashes? You got problems? Is God ever going to help you solve them? Remember that movie, Madagascar, the animals land there, and uh, the, the leader of the lemurs gets the idea he's going to get the lion to help him and, and everything. And, and so, well, wait till they fall asleep, he says. And so they're waiting and waiting. And uh, all of a sudden, the, the leader yells out, How long is this going to take? <laughs> and, and they wake up and whoosh, they all hide again. <laughs> <laughs> waiting in my backyard one day for the fireworks to go off on a mountain because we could see it real clear. And all of a sudden, my little granddaughter yells out, How long is this going to take? <laughs> how long, oh God, how long is it going to take till you answer my prayers, God? Till you help me in this area where I'm struggling, God? Maybe unanswered prayers. Maybe we, maybe we, th we think we misunderstood God, what God said, like Eve. Did God really say this? The serpent says to Eve, and Eve thinks, well, maybe I misunderstood. <laughs> we deceive ourselves sometimes. Is it ever going to come to pass, God? Our unsaved loved ones, are they ever going to get saved? Am I ever going to be able to win somebody to Jesus again? Keep trying. Keep believing. Whatever we ask, don't throw away your confidence because there is a reward coming. Hallelujah. Next, we come to one of those strange passages in the Scripture. This has boggled my mind, and I don't know, even know if I understand it completely now through all the things I studied and tried to read up on. But John says, if anyone sees... <coughs> I can't read that one over there. <laughs> anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death... Wait, what? Not leading to death. Sin not leading to death. Does John know something Paul the apostle didn't know? Because Paul writes and says the wages of sin is death. Well, what's the deal here? How could there be such a thing as a sin not leading to death? Does that strike anybody of you? Whoa, that doesn't seem right. How could that be? How could that be? Well, if you see somebody committing a sin not leading to death, you, or he, not the person committing the sin, shall ask, and God will give him, the person committing the sin, life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. So let's stop right there for just a few minutes and see if we can figure this out and get an understanding. We are to pray for the lost, that they would be granted repentance and put their faith in Christ, and that they would come to understand that they can be forgiven. So I believe, first of all, this says if you see your brother committing a sin. This is a specifically in there because it's talking about fellow believers, not talking about people that aren't saved. Okay? 
Everybody get that? It's not talking about people that are not saved. This does not mean that we're the Christian Gestapo. Can say amen? We're not the Christian Gestapo watching around and making sure, hey, you did this, you did that. That's not what we're called to do. We are called not only to pray for ourselves, but we're to call to pray for one another. Pray that God will give that person life. So, what is a sin not leading to death? Here's the clue. There is sin that leads to death. For first, let's look at, right now, the sin that leads to death. The Bible says, Jesus said there's only one sin that will never be forgiven. Only one sin that will never be forgiven. <clears throat> and that is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 3, verse 28 and 29 says these words. Jesus says, all sins will be forgiven, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. And that, what that means is to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to slander, to speak derogatory words for the purpose of injuring or harming someone's reputation. It's to use foul, profane, unclean language against the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't remember ever encountering anyone who had anything bad to say about the Holy Spirit. But Jesus did. And so who knows, maybe in our lifetime we might come up against something like that. Another thing to notice here, listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 26. Because John says, do not, he says, I do not say you should pray about the sin that leads to death. God told Moses, don't ask me, don't pray anymore about this thing. And that was, God asked Moses, please let me go into the promised land. God had told Moses, you're not going in. So Moses prayed after hearing, you're not going in. Please let me go into the promised land. And God tells Moses, don't ask again. And Moses says that the Lord would not listen to me. Now that specific um, question. And it means, uh, first of all, this word ask means to implies the humble petition of an inferior to a superior. That would be us praying in accordance with God's will. They were the word it says don't pray for the other sin means to make a request and it means to speak in authority uh, implied in making the request how many know when we pray we can pray in authority so John is saying don't pray in authority about this sin that leads to death okay like I'm telling you this is a mind-boggling part of the Bible for me So, making the request or not praying if, is because we know God and we're familiar with Him. And this word pray here means to make a request, to make it in authority, and it's on terms of familiarity with Him from whom 
The favor is sought. So we're familiar with God. We know God. And we can pray with authority, making a request. John says not to pray about the sin that leads to death here with authority. But ask about this sin that doesn't lead to death. This is sin that can be repented of. This is sin that can be repented of. Because how many know, until your last dying breath, you can repent. Amen? To your last dying breath, there's still a chance that you or anybody who hasn't repented can repent. Praise God. Let's go on. Pray for the lost to be granted repentance and to put their faith in Jesus. Listen to what John, Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 9. So this is not unusual because Jesus said, I do not pray for the world. Did you know that? Remember that? Jesus said, I do not pray for the world. Isn't that mind-boggling? But Jesus, I thought you loved everybody. Why wouldn't you not pray for the world? But Jesus says, but I pray for those whom the Father gave me, for they are his. I do not pray for these alone, but this is what Jesus prays for, for those who will believe in me through their word. You give your testimony, you tell somebody about Jesus, and they believe in Jesus, Jesus prays for those people to believe because of your testimony. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says to confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful. Praise God. So this is a requesting with authority. On the cross, what did Jesus say? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive who? Forgive those that crucified him. Forgive those that ignorantly put him on the cross. Those that ignorantly, not knowing what they're doing, but not, he didn't pray for those who deliberately knew what they were doing. Because he called them dead men, or, or tombs with dead men's bones. And at his trial, all that filthiness that was inside of them came out. If you read about the, the accounts of Jesus' uh, trial before uh, his crucifixion, it was cruel. It was mean. They slapped him. They spit on him. They put something over his head and came up and smacked him and said, okay, made fun of him. Who hit you? They, they, they mocked him. They probably put on plays, you know, goofing, uh, trying to make fun of him. Uh, you know, hey, let's do, remember Jesus, uh, these are the people that saw Jesus do miracles. Hey, remember when Jesus raised that guy from the dead and the and, uh, and, the, and the guy, hey, why don't you pretend you're demon-possessed and shake around and we'll, we'll heal you like Jesus did. And they made fun of him cruelly. These people did it on purpose. But the mob, they're just following everybody. Yeah, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. They don't know what they're talking about. And Jesus says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But denying Jesus is pretty bad. Denying Jesus and not allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with a person or themselves and let them put their trust in Jesus and denying what God says about our need for salvation 
is the sin that leads to death. Refusing what God has provided for us. Verse 17 says, All wrongdoing is sin, which means simply to miss the mark. There's sins of omission and sins of commission. Knowing what to do and not doing it, or knowing what not to do and doing it, that can get us in trouble, but we can pray and have it forgiven. There is sin that does not lead to death. We can repent. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Thank God he gives us a chance. Can you say amen? amen. And then there's another odd phrase. We know, and I like this because here's some more spots where John writes, we know, verse 19, we know. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not, and here's the key, keep on sinning. Maybe you're struggling with something, and you, but you don't just give in to it all the time, and you don't uh, say, okay, that's it, I give up, I'll never, never get free of this. You keep struggling because God has got power available to us to help us because it says he or whoever is born of God protects him. Now what does this mean? That is a funny saying here. I don't like the way it's written here, so that's just me, because I don't understand this. He who is born of God protects him. Protects who? What do you mean protects him? So I had to do some studying and reading. It says that we know, and this is our experience, that anyone who has been born again does not keep on sinning because... He who is born of God protects him. What this means is that the new birth protects you. If you've been born again, that new spirit that God's been put in you, another uh, translation says instead of protects him, keeps him or her. It keeps us in right relationship with God. We've been born again once, and then we continue because we've been born again Everyone is born of God. This is the, the new birth right here when you become born again at one point in time. And then this, who, whoever was born of God keeps st staying saved. Then the Spirit of God inside that person, him or her, protects or keeps that person. But not only that, God keeps us also. Can you say amen? God keeps us because God's within us and God's watching out for us. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. All right. This is, we know that we are from God. We are from God. Who is from God? Everyone who is born again. And what does this mean? We are in a relationship with God. That's what salvation basically is, is a relationship with the living God. Hallelujah. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. <clears throat> but Jesus came, hallelujah, to destroy the power and the works of the evil one. Now, I don't know if I have been able to explain this as well as I want to. to like I said, to me, this is a difficult passage. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says these words, By him, that's Jesus, all things were created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So 
why would God create a devil? I don't know. Plain <laughs> and simple. Well, I do know that God has given the angels free will and has given human beings free will. Because if you are forced to love God, then it's not really love. Amen? God gave us free will so that we can choose to love him or not. And hopefully, more people will choose to love God than love the world. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, but Jesus came to destroy that power. Glory to God. We will finish up with these last two verses. And here again is the phrase, we know that the Son of God has come. And this is what John was talking about in the beginning of the letter, about knowing that the Son of God has come to earth. The most important event in all of history, since the beginning of time as we know it, to the end of time is that God himself came to earth, became a human being like us, tempted in all ways, yet without sin. <clears throat> and he died and rose again according to the promises of the Scriptures, and He lives forevermore. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. So this word understanding is interesting because it means the mind. It's the Greek word, dianura, and it means the mind. Specifically, according to Vine's Dictionary, the mind, which is the faculty that has been renewed by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, We have the mind of Christ. Because we know that understanding God has given us a revelation of who He is and what He's done for us. Hallelujah. And this, John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that we may know Him the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So here he tells us, John says, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding or a renewed mind so that we may know him who is true. In uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, it, uh, Jesus says, I am he that is true. We are in him who is true because you're either in Adam or you're in Christ and your way to get in Christ is to ask Christ to come in you. He is the true God. We are in Him who is true and in His Son, Jesus Christ. And then he equates, he says, basically here, He is the true God, that Jesus is God and eternal life. Then he finishes this odd, seemingly statement, little children, which is a term of affection and endearment. He loves these people and loves us and expresses that love through his letter here, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Where he had written this letter to, the, uh, the, the, the Roman and Greek culture was full of idolatry. A lot of these people had come out of pagan religions. Uh, there was idolatry all over the place, and it was pretty obvious. But today it's not quite so obvious. There is idolatry today. Can you say amen? Lots of idolatry. It's almost kind of <laughs> comical that there's a TV show called American Idol. <laughs> it really, like, like, don't you guys get it? 
There's culture wars going on in life today, in society today. <laughs> Somebody uh, posted somewhere, I forget, on the internet, said they, they wanted to cancel Jesus <laughs> because <laughs> Easter was coming in. Oh, let's cancel Jesus because he makes demands on us. We can't live the way we want. And they call it progress, where the Bible calls it uh, uh, licentiousness. There's a difference between liberty and licentiousness. Liberty is freedom, real freedom. Licentiousness is do whatever you want. And they call it progress by promoting sin. And there's a whole lot more I can say about culture wars. Socialism is trying to gain a foothold across the world. And uh, instead of capitalism, I saw something the other day that said, uh, I forget what the percentage was, but the majority of uh, Democratic politicians uh, 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 would prefer socialism over capitalism. And uh, one of the ideas behind socialism is that we make stuff not for profit, but for utility. The other idea behind socialism is that there's no private property. Everything belongs to the state. But who is in charge of the state? Read that book, Animal Farm, and you'll see what socialism's about. Anyway, so we're in a culture war. God wants to get a hold of everyone's minds and hearts because God loves them and has their best interests. How in the world, why in the world would the Chinese government be so opposed to Christianity is beyond me. Because Christians, are so, and one of the Christian pastors uh, wrote, he says, if you get arrested for being a Christian, I hope you maintain your Christian testimony and be a good example of what a Christian is to these people. The cover of the recent uh, Voice of the Martyrs magazine has got a picture of a young lady behind bars. And I showed it to my granddaughter and I said, this is what happens to Christians in China. That's how you have to live. Make sure that you're ready. I don't know if that's ever going to happen here. I hope it doesn't. But the bottom line is that we are in a culture war. And hopefully that the culture of Jesus will win out in this country because this country was created and established on godly principles. If you lo look at our history, we are in a critical point in time, I believe. Anyway, hopefully you're registered to vote because you can make your voice heard that way. But more importantly, pray and witness and tell people about Jesus. Pray for them. Amen. We have the authority, so <sighs> let's do that. Praise God. Well, that's all I have this morning. I hope you're not confused. I hope <laughs> I made a couple of things clear to you because, uh, like I said, we go line by line because there's things in the Bible that need to be looked at uh, and not just passed over. Praise God. So let's close our eyes and our heads and close the service this morning. Hallelujah. I believe everyone here is born again, but if you're watching online, there's no guarantee for tomorrow. There's no guarantee that <clears throat> you'll live another day, breathe another day. And the older I get, the more I'm concerned with eternity because there's going to come a day when you and I pass away and pass into eternity. And I hope everyone is ready. So if you're listening online and you're not ready, Jesus loves you, died for your sins, rose again from the dead to set you free. And he wants to give you eternal life, wants you to know that you can have eternal life without a shadow of a doubt. And all you have to do is put your trust in what he did on the cross and raising again from the dead is more than enough to make you good enough to enter into relationship with him. So with that, if 
Let's just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for raising again from the dead. Thank you for interceding for me. I ask you to come in my life, be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we encourage you to get in touch with us here at Living Hope Family Church in Marana. Um, With that, let's stand to our feet.